everyone, Devorah Esther here, and welcome to another edition of Talking Torah with Devorah. And if you are new to my channel, please consider subscribing. This way you can stay notified of all the upcoming shirim and join in the fun. And speaking of fun, please join in this mitzvah and share this lecture with somebody. And my guest today is the CEO of JDBY YTT Chicago, the largest Jewish school outside the New York and New Jersey region. He's originally from Miami. And he's studying Yeshivas Mir uh, Yerushalayim, Shar HaTorah Grodno, and, in, and that's in Queens, in Base Midrash, uh, I think I'm going to say that wrong, but oh, wow. in BMG, BMG, BMG. And that's in Lakewood. And he's very passionate about Jewish education and outreach, um, and he's very passionate about the importance of a strong Jewish identity, something a lot of us can relate to. He is a dynamic speaker who has spoken for Intel, Apple, and Google, just to name a few. And I've heard a few of his lectures, and I'm telling you, you're in for a real treat today. And I'd like to welcome Rav Menachem Levine to my uh, channel. Welcome, Rabbi. Thank you. Happy to be here. I'm so glad to have you. I'm really excited because, you know, I listened to your shirim, particularly um, about the subject we're going to talk today, which I don't think really gets spoken about a lot. When we talk about Spain and uh, 1492, we tend to forget about all the history, which, you know, Spain has a very rich history, um, sure. and we we tend to forget about everything prior to 1492, and that is Al-Andalus. It was not always, you know, uh, in the hands of the Christians, and and obviously we know after the 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 conquest, uh, there was big trouble for everyone, including the Moors. Um, so I thought I I thought it was gonna be very interesting because there's this misconception. That there, you know, we were the golden age of Spain. We were living in the golden age of Spain. And people really, uh, say that this time was a time of tolerance, a time of, uh, sharing of ideas. Um, but what few people talk about is all of the anti-Semitism that was going on in that time. So I want to talk a little bit about this today, but first, please, uh, tell us a little bit about your background and, you know, how you got interested because you're very learned in this area. Right, sure. So thank you again for hosting me today. It's really my pleasure to share ideas with your audience. And you really are in a unique position that you're speaking to many people of Jewish descent, uh, of Jewish interest who don't have other mediums uh, to connect. And you're really creating a medium for, for many Jews and people of Jewish descent as well. So it's really an honor. I'm actually a grandchild of four Polish Holocaust survivors. Wow. And like real, like the real Polish Holocaust survivors. My mother's parents were both second marriage. My, my grandfather saw his first uh, wife and children murdered in front of his eyes. My, my, uh, my, her, her mother also lost, lost her husband. There were six years in Poland with the Nazis. My father's parents saw the Nazis, escaped to the Russian side, were in Siberia. And I really, I grew up uh, in an observant home, going to yeshivas. I have a law background as well, and I've I was a rabbi in, in uh, the Bay. I do too. <laughs> uh, I was a rabbi in the Bay Area for 13 years, and one of the things that propelled me a, a lot of a, a, a large part of my journey was, you know, growing up in a house where my where my parents uh, gave me a Jewish education, and thinking to myself, what if I had been born in 1939 in America? What what would I do about the world around me? Would I watch? Polish, German, Hungarian, Russian Jews be murdered. And, and when I just say I can't do anything, 
And so as I got older, and I, I studied yeshiva, both in, in Jerusalem and in the Mir Yeshiva, which is the largest yeshiva in the world, and in Lakewood, New Jersey, which BMG, based in Ajish Kavoa, is the largest yeshiva in the United States of America. There's 8,000 students there, both very intense, serious yeshivas, both in very orthodox areas. But I was always thinking to myself, there's so many Jews all around that don't have this opportunity. And for them, there's really a spiritual holocaust. And the spiritual holocaust is not usually of choice. It's at 90-something percent, a high 90 percent, of non-Orthodox Jews don't have the Jewish education to be successful in the world that we live in today. So a lot of what I've done in my life when I was in law school, University of Pennsylvania, when I left Lakewood, I was meeting Jews all around me who were brilliant, brilliant people. It's an Ivy League university, but knew nothing about their Judaism and therefore did nothing in their Judaism. And many of them would be lost to Jewish people without that. So I did, I tried, I started a Jewish club there. It was very popular. I was in the Bay Area with also smart Jews. Again, many of them not knowing about their, their background. So and now as the head of the school, I have a, a unique opportunity, but I still always try. That's why I have my ThinkTorah.com website. I write for H.com uh, and Al Yumayr of Jewish Press, other uh, organizations simply to spread knowledge because knowledge empowers. You know, we're going to talk about Jewish history today. It does. And, and, I, and, I, and that's exactly why I want to have you on because knowledge does empower. And I think, you know, I think that was part of a big part of my journey, the fact that I didn't have an identity. And it literally was like hidden from me. And what happens in that is that it starts to create this void. And it, it becomes like this huge void that needs to be filled. And so for me, it was important not only to find out my personal history, but the history of my people. And I think that it's also important, like you, to spread this knowledge on because, you know, either you can either you can know or someone can fill it in for you. And not everyone wants to come in and fill in the truth. Um, So I think it's really important what you're doing, and I'm so glad that you're on. And again, we're talking about Al-Andalus, and we're talking about a a, it's a very rich history and a very long history of Muslim rule in Spain. And, you know, really, it wasn't until the caliphate started coming in and the death of Mohammed where they're starting to fight over who is the legitimate, you know, uh, heir to this dynasty if you will and that's where trouble starts to to you know come in and a previous guest we had on rabbi gladstein mentioned something which i think few people realize is that when you know the 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 christians uh prior you know to the big switch uh they really were a bunch of barbarians out there they were uncultured it was not like what you think of Spain today for sure right it's definitely not what you think of christianity today it was a very barbaric religion back then. Um, and at the time, it was the Muslim nation that was cultured. They had these beautiful mosques and, and just, you know, fountains and music and geometry. And they had all of this knowledge and wisdom. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. Take us back and kind of tell us about why it wasn't so golden after all. Right. So let's start. The, we'll go back to the beginning the early Christian Spain. So. Spain, uh, ready for the time of the Romans, had Jews. Um, and even before Christianity became accepted by the, by, by the Roman Empire, there were already anti-Semitic, uh, legislation. Now, at the time, the Christians didn't have the power to, to impose it on 
the population, but they, they, they had internal laws not to talk to Jews, not to marry Jews. In the council of Elvira, which was right next to Granada, which we'll, we'll talk about soon, in 305, that's before Constantine would take it for the empire, they already have laws to separate themselves as Jews. So it's, it starts to be enmeshed in Spain. When the, the German barbarians, the Vandals in 409, and then the Viscoths in 412 would come into Spain, they would shortly thereafter have severe anti-Semitic decrees and laws, and they were able to impose it not just on themselves, but on the Jews themselves. I'll tell you something which most people have no idea about. In 612, way before 1391 and way before 1492, the Christians, Viscoths in Spain, at that time they had become Catholic. They were originally mostly Aryan. For those who don't know, Christianity for many years had this great debate. Was Yashka Jesus, was he God or just a prophet, so to speak? The Aryans believed he was just a prophet. Right. The, the Catholics believed he was actually a God, which comes from pagan sources, of course, all, all of this, but not, not our discussion today, maybe a different time. Uh, and the Catholics would, would, would pretty much win out. And when they did, they would then try to stamp out the Jews. And in 612, they had a, a, a in Toledo, in the fourth Lateran Council of Toledo, they made a rule, Jews have to convert or die. This is in 612 of the Common Era. Like far, far before. Far before and before the, the Muslims. comes down. Right, and before the Muslims were even a religion at the time. So, and at, in 633, there was a, already a, 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 a conversal population. There was already a law that if they found Jews in 633, if they found Jews who were nominally Christian, practicing Judaism, they would take their children from them and either in monasteries or in trusted Christian families. So uh, this is 800-something years beforehand. Um, it was not uniform across Spain. There were regions in Spain where the Jews were able to take their way through it. Therefore, in 711, when the Moors, who were a combination of the Berbers from the Atlas Mountains in the, in the northern African area, and other Arabs in the Morocco area would come together, cross the Strait of Gibraltar under Jarak, uh, who's named after Gibraltar, they would be welcomed, welcomed by the Jews. And, and in fact, as the Muslim armies would come to conquering Spain, all of, all of Portugal, all of Portugal, and about 75 to 80% of Spain, yeah, if it wasn't for the Pyrenees Mountain, I think they would have hit France, too. They would have hit France, yes. They definitely, they and if they would have been more organized, they came with 10,000 troops. Right? <laughs> it's not like they, it was one group of them, they, uh, and they were welcomed by the Jews. They, in fact, trusted the Jews with many of their uh, leadership positions as they were starting. The, the original Moors that came into Spain were way better then they, they basically saved Spanish Jewry from complete assimilation uh, at that time because they already had a forced conversion law a hundred years earlier with all kinds of decrees of uh, t- taking away children. For, there were not many, many Jews at the time, um, but the Jews that were there were treated, I would say, pretty well. Uh, and and in, in fairness, at that period of time, the Muslims needed the Jews, and the, the Moors 
more tolerant, if you can say that. And Jews had some rights in that period of time. That that period of time, really, which we we'll call the Golden Age, which goes let's say from 711 to 1060s um, to 90 at most, the, the Jews had what we call that would be the Golden Age of Spain. Most of the Jews would come at a later period of time. Um, in the, in the, in the late 10th century, and then you have a larger Jewish population. And during that period of time, the Jews were necessary. This is very, very important. The Jews in the, the Muslim world, uh, and the Christian world, their value was really two things. They were literate. Jews were universally literate, which was in, when a population in the Christian world was 98 to 99% illiterate, including the nobility. Correct. The Jews were illiterate people. And the Jews were international. The Muslims and the Christians were fighting. And the Jews allowed for cross-pollination and for cross-financial, um, you know, deals and purchases and stuff like that. So the Muslims, um, at that time, there were not a lot of them in Spain. They, were, they, they had conquered a very large area. The Jews were helpful and they were tolerated. I think the key word here is tolerated. Tolerated. Um, you know, Bernard Lewis, who is the professor emeritus, at uh, Princeton University, who passed away a few years ago, considered by many one of the greatest experts of Islam, he, the way the way he said it is that the the Jews of the, the, the Jews of Spain were basically second class citizens, always at risk, but certainly were at that period of time, certainly but certainly were tolerated. They were dimis, which which in according to the Quran means. That they're second class citizens, and they have to know that. Yeah, and they have to wear. They have to, and they have to wear, you know, something that deter that says that they are, you know, Jews. They have to wear distinct clothes. Repetitive throughout history when it comes to Jews. But actually, you know, it's you know, it's people. Another thing that a lot of people don't know that the 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 yellow star, the first people to be forced to wear yellow star were the Jews of Baghdad, I think in the eighth or ninth century. Okay. That yellow star, which in 1933 would become infamous, 1935, um, in, in the Nuremberg Laws with, under the Nazis, that goes back not to even Christianity. It, was, it, it did come to Italy and to Venice, but it started in the Muslim countries. They distinct, they, they were forced Jews to be distinguished by dress. They, there was certainly a jizya, which is a, a poll tax, which is in the Quran. That not just Jews, but Jews, Christians, any non-Muslim would have to pay. And to quote Bernard Lewis, it was there to know, to subordinate as an act that you are less than a Muslim. Yeah, because they tolerated you, provided that you accepted that you were the second class citizen. Right. Because if you challenge that, that's when trouble is going to start. Right. If you challenge that, if you got too powerful, one of the, 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 during this time period, there were a few remarkable Jews. Uh, one of them was Rabbi Shmuel Hanagid. Yes. Was in Granada. Yes. And during his personal lifetime, because, uh, the, the visor, he became the visor, he had largely was protected. Although there's many incidents of people bad mouthing him and how he dealt it, but there wasn't physical danger. It was chatter around. But a few years after he passes away, his son, who's now the visor, um, in Granada, there's poetry calling Jews apes and animals. There's there are certain uh, heads of mosques doing the same thing, and it escalated. And they felt that Jews had too more too much power. And within one day, 
almost 5,000, somewhere between 2,000 and 5,000 Jews, around 30 to 50% of the population of Granada was murdered in one day. The Granada massacre of of 1066 would be exactly that. So you imagine, imagine 30 to 50% of a city being murdered in one day without guns and cannons. That's with swords and and axes and spears. So uh, they were, if a Jew stepped out of line, even powerful Jews, this, he was the visor and he was murdered. There was certainly a, a level of danger. That was in the best of times. Um, but there were other things, you know, whether they were applied or not. A, a dimmy, they couldn't ride on horses, they couldn't ride on, on camels. Right. Uh, yes. They couldn't prosecute against the Muslim. Uh, you know, in certain uh, countries, like in Yemen, this was very strongly enforced in other countries. And in Spain, it would depend on the, on the era. The, the the golden golden age of Spain is probably uh, in the 10th century, if you had to pick the best, and that was in Cordoba. Um, and Cordoba was actually the largest city in the world at the time. And it was the capital. And if if for our viewers, if you can imagine what Cordoba Cordoba was like, it was really uh, what you would think like New York City. I mean, this right. had. It had, you know, running water. It had it streetlights. This was a very developed, which was unheard of, I think, for the time. Uh, so Cordoba became this huge um, stomping ground. It was like this is where you had to be, really, in on, on, you know, Al Andalus. Right. It was it was the largest city in the world. It was it was an international city. The Jews certainly played a part. And during the 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 reign of Hasta Ibn Shaprut. Who was a doctor to some of the to some of the heads of, of, of Cordoba? Jews were relatively prosperous in that area. But Shmuel Hanaga, I just mentioned him. He had to run from his life for Cordoba a few years later because in a Muslim civil war they sacked the Jewish quarter, and many of the Jews, even then in the Golden Age of Spain, uh, were, were you know were killed at, at that period of time. So I think really what's important for for your viewers to know is that. Even in the best time of Spain, and, and, and it will change radically in, in, in a few moments we'll talk about, you, you can't talk about Spain and think about United, the United States or Canada or anything that we know. Jews were not equals. Jews were tolerated. And because Jews had value, if they knew their place, they would be able to be successful within reason. But they never had rights over a Muslim. They certainly better not uh, act like they are equals. Even even a Jewish leader would be could be prosecuted versus for 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 activists anyone because Jews were not equals. That's what's important uh, to know. Interestingly, Bernard Lewis, this Bernard Lewis, he points out that in the 19th century, that the, the idea of golden the golden age of Spain became prominent amongst Jews in Western European countries, and they did that on purpose because they wanted to show all of the countries of the Enlightenment who had not let the Jews live as Jews, even in England or in Germany, even when the Jews had certain rights, they couldn't go to universities unless they converted. So they kind of blew up the golden age of Spain in order to knock it at these Western European countries who consider themselves enlightened. It it sounds like this was like the first advertisement campaign, which obviously has been so successful because to this day, People really think it was the golden age and we should all return back to this utopia of 
of tolerance and sharing of ideas. And it's not it's not exactly the truth of what was going on down in that time. Right. I, you know, it, it's it's um, you know, even just just to 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 their point. One of the groups that, that actually uses today are are anti-Israel, especially Muslim anti. There are non-anti-Israel Muslim groups, but this and anti-Israel Muslim groups will use this idea that you could that that Israel doesn't need to exist because if you would live in Spain, where we could be or or countries like that, we if you could be remarkably successful. And so they took this um this not fully true history, you know, history is the tricks we play with the dead. And yeah. that's the famous line that Voltaire said, history is the tricks we play with it. So they play a trick with it in order for their own propaganda and political reasons in order to actually endanger the state of Israel uh, as well. So they, you can live in Muslim society. It, it's remarkable. If you look at modern day Israel, the most right wing group is the Sephardic Jews. And one of the reasons that are the most right wing is that they've lived under Muslim-only countries, and they had very negative experiences. The Ashkenazim from Germany or Russia tend to be a much more diverse political group from many left. The left is certainly from there, and the center, and there's obviously a right. But the Spartan as a whole are overwhelmingly... You're, you're absolutely right because I to this day I don't think I know a Sephardim that votes to the left. Right, right. I should point out, which you probably know, of course, in your viewership, all you know, almost all uh, non-Ashkenazi Jews are called Sephardim, which is very interesting. Correct. Many, many of them are not. Why is that the case? Because Spain, at its height, had about fifty percent of worldwide Jewry, and and and, uh, and the there was overwhelmingly of Muslim population. And we know that the Chavis Lovavas, which is the, the, uh, the ethics, uh, the Jews of ethics of heart, who lived in 11th century, the, the golden age of Spain, so, so-called golden age of Spain, he actually said that Svardim referred to all Jews in Muslim lands, Ashkenazim referred to all Jews in Christian lands. And that's the general rule. But they took Spain for Sephardi, as opposed to everyone else, because Spain really was the center of the Sephardic world. It yeah. really was the center of the Sephardic world. I mean, you know, I, I think this is, you know, one of the big misconceptions, too, is that I think that people think that right before the conquest in, in 1491 and, and finally the stamping out in 1492, that, that it was golden up until this point. And in fact, it was a very small period Right. Of what we can probably say was okay, <laughs> not so bad. In compared to compared to what was in Catholic Europe or in the Byzantines at that time, we were definitely better off, unquestionably uh, better off. It, we, were, it, we were still second class citizens. We were still constantly in danger, and in one minute. Everything can change. Uh, by the way, we, we, what we would call the golden age of Spain was not that much different than the Jews were in the Sephardic world 150 years ago, which were there in constant, you can have Syrian Jews, Jews and other uh, Baghdadi Jews. There were always, in Iran and Persia, they were always in danger, even if they were tolerated. It's not that, it was not that much different. Um, and, and, and I would just, you know, say that was the best of time. The Muslim Spain shortly afterwards would turn radically different for the Jewish people. So, in fact, 
what the, the, they, they, when the Alamavrads came in the late 11th century, followed by the Lomahads in the early 12th century, they would come and forcibly again convert all of the Jews. They would do what the Christians had done. So all of what, you know, when, when you talk about Muslim Spain, in El Andalus, in the 12th century, all Jews pretty much had choices of convert or die or run for their life, including, of course, the famous Rambam Maimonides would have to run for his life. Uh, what people don't know is Maimonides went, the Rambam ran when the Alomahads came in. The Alomahads were radically Islam, uh, something like, like an, an Al Qaeda today. They basically had, you had no rights as a Jew and you had to convert. And the Rambam ran first to the Christian side of Spain, eventually to Morocco, and the Lomads then conquered Morocco. And Fez, which was the capital city, actually had a yeshiva in the time of Maimonides, the Rambam, with the Rosh Yeshiva and people around him that were forcibly converted to Islam. And they just kept their Judaism, but they had no choice. And what's interesting, too, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when, you know, the, the takeover in, you know, after Muhammad died, Guys, I believe this is when we first start to see the Sunni and the Shiites start to develop. Yes. That's correct. So, right. I mean, that's a fight that's still going on till today. Still affects the geopolitical role that we're in today. Absolutely. And affects Eretz as well, as well, as well, as well. You know, I also want to point out for your viewership because I, you know, I understand that you have a lot of people of Spanish and Portuguese descent yes. who watch this. So you may say to yourself, why is this so important? You know, you know, one of the important things of history, uh, you know, of course, a Spanish uh, philosopher, George Santana, said those who don't learn from history are going to, do this, to repeat it. Right? But beyond that, it's to know thyself. And you cannot understand yourself if you don't know your background. Imagine right. tomorrow you or I would wake up. We didn't know our parents. We didn't know our grandparents. We didn't, we didn't know what we, where we were the past few years. How would we live? So we'd have no idea who we were. So to the extent we don't that's know. That's almost exactly what happened to me. I didn't know anything past my grandmother. And, right. and I was not told anything. So imagine it's a big void. It's and a it's big, a nagging question. A nagging question. So it, without that knowledge, you don't know who you are. So if you come from a Spanish or Portuguese background, even when the Christians would reconquer it, you know, what people understand is, is that it's actually one of the explanations for the conversos is that in is in parts of Islamic society, you could have converted and got away being a converso. The Catholics not do it. So since they had experienced it under Islam, there were individuals who actually the, their default was to, to convert under the under those dire circumstances because they had experienced it. That's if you don't understand history, you won't even have that tidbit of knowledge to know that right that that Spanish Christian. Spain at one point had been Muslim, and they were forcibly converted. Many of them lived a conversal life successfully. So when it came up again, whether 1391 or 1492, people imagine they would do the as same usual. thing. As usual, they just think it's business as usual. Right, you'll so a bit of Pavlov's dog, right? Like this is okay. We we see the new regime coming. Let's just say what we, we they need to hear. Pretend right. what we need to pretend. Um, so where did it all go wrong? Like this, this time it seemed to have stuck and we kind of like lost a lot of people along right. the way. Right. So I, I, it was a very, I, there was a very, very famous, um, 
author and leader of Spanish jury, Rabbi Yosef Yaivetz. Have you heard of him? No, I haven't actually. Really? I, I know you're the sons of many of the Spanish greats. He I was, know, I know. Tell me something. Tell you me know, something. You, get, you have to look him up. Rabbi Yosef Yaivetz was, he actually has a very, very famous commentary on Pirkei Avot, on the ethics of our fathers. Oh. Uh, and he has a book about the expulsion from Spain. And he actually, with the Abarbanel and the other leaders of Spain, left and Spain. We think about the Abarbanel all the time. All the time. He was he was one of the co-conspirators with two of my grandfathers in the expulsion, both Christopher Columbus and Rabbi Abraham Senor. Right. So, so it's very interesting. I got now I have now I'm intrigued. Go on. Well about by the way, before I go back, you know by the way that the Abarbanel and Avram Senor, they were till the end of of course Avram Senor would, would abandon his faith. So on June of fourteen ninety two, in a mass ceremony I think June fifteenth, fourteen ninety two. And the colonel, you should know this, the colonel family, colonel? It's coronel. And believe me, they're still, they're, I still have uncles and grandfathers coronel. Really? And one, the, the last one, I have a, a photo of him, Benjamin Coronel. And by the way, and for people that don't know, coronel, his wife had a, a direct descendancy to the line of King David. Right. The name coronel means crown, coron. In, in Spanish, and obviously the Hashem's name. So I always seem to think the coronel means the crown of God, and I wonder if it was homage to his wife's family. Um, but that name exists till today. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 in fact, actually, I just recently wrote for H.com an article about Brazil, and one of the leaders of when they went to Brazil was coronel. And there are there are like sports people with that last name. There's all kinds of people out there. I'm sure they're all primos. But yeah, but, but I mean, cousins. <laughs> you are really abandoned to the faith. And Abarbanel did the complete opposite. What, what's remarkable is that shortly before, besides the fact that Rabbi Avramsenor was uh, at the time of Avramsenor, he made the shidduch. He, he married. He was instrumental in Fernando Isabel. But they actually, both Abarbanel and Avramsenor, actually helped defeat Granada. <laughs> Not realizing the irony, the irony, irony of it all. That would be the double-edged sword that would come right. back to cut their necks off. Right. They they basically helped Fernando Isabella, and then they were they were stabbed in in in, in the back. Uh, so Rabbi Yosef Yaivitz is this great scholar. He's actually you know in yeshivas in the study halls today. His works are learned. He wrote a book called Or Hachaim. So it's in Hebrew. It's Lashon I I have a copy myself, and he discusses there the source, in his opinion, of the both mass conversions in Spain as well as the expulsion. Now, the idea of mass conversions was totally uncommon in Judaism to that point. I mean, Jews, Josephus, in his work, Contra Apion, talks about how Jews died before they would do this. I just said a few minutes ago, one of the reasons that Jews thought they can do it, like they did their Islam, and get away with it. But he actually says the main reason of the breakdown of Spain uh, was that they became too into philosophy and not enough into Torah. And he and had, that that problem is still existing today. You go and you can see in, in, the, in the, what happened in the 19th century in Germany in the Ashkenazi world also. This is exact. This and this, uh, you know, sir, some rabbis have come out. Uh, Rabbi Avigdor Miller has a book out uh, that was published about this. Um, again, all under the enlightenment of, you know, the, the guise of enlightenment, where they thought, you know, 
we can we can entertain the secular world while still remaining Jewish at the home. And this was it spelled big trouble. I, I, uh, when we say the secular world, you know, it means that for you and I, our priority, our our knowledge base comes from Torah. If a person wants to study something here and there for you know or for a, for a, for to make a career, but that's not their life. A Jew's life is is you know God's Torah. You know, there's a there's a famous line. If if you would see a book come down from heaven from, the, from an angel Gabriel, who wouldn't want to read it? Think of God's you know, the Torah instructions for life. So we we get our sustenance, spiritual sustenance, our directives in life from the Torah. In Spain at the time, it, there were so many Jews studying Aristotle and other works, and they lost focus. And their Judaism weakened. And already then there were lots of simulation, as I'm sure you've discussed at least to your lectures, Torquemada, yes. Fernand and Isabel, uh, Isabella, they were all of Jewish descent. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because, um, you know, it's well known that, that Torquemada was a Jew, right? right. His, his grandmother was a, was a conversa. It's becoming common knowledge that King Ferdinand had Jewish de- uh, descendancy, which is why a lot of the conversos thought that they could reason with him. Right. Okay. The first time, and I'm so glad you are now the second time I've heard this, and I never said it publicly because it came from my grandmother's cousin. And what he said was that Queen Isabella also had, yes. this, which is the reason why they had him and Ferdinand together. Right. And and it's and it was it was my cousins. They were second cousins. Yes. Yes. And so it was mind blowing to me because I I was like, wow, no one ever speaks about this. The fact that and, and it makes sense, right? Because even my Rav has told me many times and many Rabunum have said that the greatest damage to the Jewish nation comes from a Jew. Only the Jew has the power to, to inflict such damage on the nation. You know who says that also? The Rambam, my Maimonides, where is the, and the Rambam brings a proof. There is one blessing with Jews who pray three times a day. We have 18 blessings and it was one blessing at, at which, which was instituted in the first century of the common era. And that was the blessing of the Lamal Shinim, of the, the, to, to curse those minim, those Jews who endanger Judaism. Right, that blessing was instituted at a time of early Christians who were all Jews, who were who were damaging Judaism from within. Right, you know, early Christians within. I mean, Jews could damage Jews in no other way. In fact, in Spain, all of the famous disputations, 1263, Ramban, Nachmanides, and one of the most famous disputations he had, and he won. Right, who was he debating against? An apostate Jew. Pablo Christiani, 1412 to 1414 in Tortosa, the great disputation of Tortosa, where they were there, they held the Jews and they tried to forcibly convert them. The main person was a guy, Joshua Halorki, another Jew had left his faith. So what Rabbi Yaivet says, this is important for your crowd beyond the Jewish history. I think it's important. We should all know where we come from. If the Jew does not know where they come from, they do not know themselves. Absolutely. They don't know. We have so many mitzvahs about history, you know, from Hanukkah to Pesach. To we, have, we have all kinds of commandments. We have a mandate in the Torah. Zuchor Yermos Olam. Remember the days of, of, of old. We have to know who we are. We have to understand who we are. But the, the Jews who keep Torah and study Torah, 
they, 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 you know, obviously, we have a life, all of us, you, I, every Jew has what to work with. We're all imperfect. And life is not perfecting. But if you have a strong background in Torah, that's not the best way to connect to God. It's the best way to ensure your Judaism and your children's Judaism. And in Spain, the, the, more than the Gentiles, we can talk about the Muslims and we can talk about the Catholics and the oppression and the persecution for hundreds of years is mind boggling. In Portugal in 1497, they, they also, they took Jewish children away. Yes. What empowered our enemies, what empowered, uh, 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 what made us, what made us weak was ourselves. We, we slackened in our observance to Torah and to study of Torah. And because of that, Amongst us, we created our own enemies. Um, you know, I, I'm often, I was in the Bay Area for 13 years, and I, I you know, like yourself, you're, you're, you're a big lover of, of Jews and people. I, I love every Jew the same. I always say, oh, yeah. I, love, I don't discriminate. I, I would give my blood equally, but I also believe in truth. And there's only one Torah. There's different nuances. There's a different way, you know, there, there are obviously Sephardi Ashkenazi have different cultural backgrounds, but we all keep the same Torah. But, but when Judaism is weakened, right, it's, it, 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 most Jews after a couple of generations don't know the difference. And so what you have today in, even in America is a mass assimilation because they don't have Torah and they don't have Jewish knowledge. So what you're doing in sharing and everyone who listens to this who has a Jewish background has to be the, the most important thing in Judaism is knowledge. The biggest mitzvah in, is Torah study itself. And the tragedy of the weakening of Spanish Jewry, which was glorious, by the way, we, you know, in every yeshiva, in every hall of study today, we study the works of the Spanish sages. Ramban, not so Maimonides. That is Maimonides, uh, Ritva, Rabbi Yom sages from Toledo and sages from Seville, sages from Cordova and sages from Granada. Rabbi Shmuel Hanagi is, it has an introduction to the Talmud. Rabbi Chasta Ibn Shaprut supported some of the greatest, uh, Talmudic scholars and Jewish poets who make our liturgy that we say till today. So Spain, as long as they stuck to the Torah study, was strong. When they got more into philosophy, into the world around them, and trying to be like the Gentiles, then they became weakened. There were Jews who became assimilated, whose children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren became our enemies and we became weaker and less able to defend for ourselves. Uh, that's really the tragedy uh, of that. And it wasn't unique to Spain. It's happened other times in history as well. Just Spain was so, it was so violent. And I, and I hope for our viewers and our listeners, because we have them from all over, from the just starting out on the journey to the very learned, to Jews who have always been Jews, I, I hope that you just heard what the Rav said, because this is so instrumental to every Jew. This is the poison that we seem to keep wanting to run to take. And it's just this thought that, you know, we can we can learn something from from the, the Gentiles, that they have something to offer. And I'm telling you right now, we've got it. I think this is, you know, this is the reason why Purim will not be be canceled, because we learned we learned at that time that we had it. We have, we have the greatest gift that the creator of the universe has given to us and to any, to no other nation can claim this. What do they have to offer? Mamish. Like, and we, we keep running to take this poison. 
Right. I, 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 and I think, by the way, in our, in our discussion about Jewish history and the, the not-so-old golden age and, and, where, and whether we're tolerant or not, what's important for, you know, it's actually the mitzvah, the, the command to learn history, which Isaiah says, Yeshaya the prophet, to modern-day great sages like the Chazanish of, of Rabbi Hirsch in 19th century Germany, is to learn history to, to apply to ourselves. It's so, on one hand, is to know ourselves, to know where we come from, and what makes us. If you didn't know that I'm a grandchild of four Polish Holocaust survivors, you wouldn't know who I am. And if I didn't know that, I wouldn't have my complete story. And I know many of your listeners and viewers have their own stories that make who, who they are. So you need to know who we are. But more, more importantly, it's to live for the future as well. And that really is, is that we need to understand what makes the Jewish people successful? What, how, who we are as a people? How we'll be successful as individuals? And I see, but actually, I would just commend you because, you know, there are many sites that are out there, many people who maybe even well-meaning who don't give truth. And the, the litmus test, I've been involved, I was a rabbi in the Bay Area for 13 years. I, I've wrote, written articles about conversion. I've been involved. And whether it's conversion, whether it's doing tshuva, whether it's just improving your Judaism, People who are successful for more than the moment are people who look for truth. That, you know, a person, we have to be truth searchers. And at the end of time, you know, we mentioned history could be the tricks we play with the dead. We can speak out history and we can rationalize our lives. We can say everything was great. Or we can say, let's, what, what can we learn? You, and that's the big question. And I, and I, I've, I've said this a few times in a few of my uh, lectures and I said, you know, from 1492 to 1942, what what have we learned? We keep saying never again, but we keep saying, yeah, one more time. Let's go to this rodeo again. And, you know, I and, you know, it's funny, even with my own my own community, every student that has ever had any of my classes or anything, they know I'm a big proponent of this. Learn for yourself what is said. Open up the suffer for yourself. Right. You have to know, because, again, Anyone can say anything. I mean, you have to know and you have to be connected. You, you have to choose Hashem every day. Right. The choice you have to make every day. If, if that's what I've learned from my own history and, and, and the history of the conversos is that if you keep giving yourself these leniencies, little leniencies before you know it, you've crossed the line. You don't even realize that you've done it. And so, you know, I, I, I'll be quite honest with you. I hope that I'm never in that position. I hope that I'm never right. in that position. And I am no one to, you know, to, to point a finger. But what I will tell you is that I wake up every day saying, today I'm going to choose Hashem. And it's a daily, it's a daily choice that I make to say, Hashem, you and I, let's, I don't know where you're going to leave me today. So long as you're with me, I'm going. And, and that's what it's about. And I think that it is important. That you look at history the way it was, not the way you hope it would be, not the way that people tell you it was, because especially in this day and age, people have so many narratives that have changed so many times, and it's it's so far from the truth. I, I think you know at this point, most people are very ignorant of what their history is, of what the purpose of a Jew is, right. and I think that this becomes. Uh, our downfall, and and it's very scary because if you look around what's happening today, Has Vishalom Hashem should have mercy on us because we're we need we need to step it up, guys. That's all I can tell you is we have to step it up, and 
I don't know, Rob. What do you think of what do you think of what's going on? A state of our 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 people. Oh, yeah. It's to quote Charles Dickens: "It's the best of times and the worst of times." Uh, we have more and more Jews today, and you know, who are coming back to Hashem, studying Torah, uh, and at the same time, we're losing mass amounts of Jews, and even what you call the Orthodox population. You know, as I mentioned before, you know. Those who look to the Torah as a source, it's not how you address, it's what your priority is, will be strengthened. And those who are looking to the New York Times or the Huffington Post <laughs> as their source, of Judaism, <laughs> you know, or, you know, you mentioned anti-Semitism, some of the biggest fighters of anti-Semitism who do a good job within reason, you know, whether than the ADL and those kind of groups, they, they're still so compromised because they can't even admit who the real anti-Semites are fast the time because they're, they're not coming from a Jewish source. Um, and so I think our success will be the more we connect to Torah, the more we connect to Hashem, the more we connect to the truth. And this also, since your viewership is so wide and so diverse and you really are one of their main teachers, I just going to tell you a, a quick vignette. I got to go in a minute or two because we have Mincha afternoon prayers. Yeah. So I, I just want to share. I just want to, I, I just want to, I just want to share, um, Sorry, when I was in California, you know, again, I look, I'll just tell you, um, a story to a story. Last week, I'm in the airport, and there was a lady next to me, she was Polish. So I'm talking to her, and turns out, she looked, did not look Jewish at all, but she was a little bit too interested to be not Jewish at all, and I felt that. And it turns out she, her mother, her mother's mother was Jewish, and she was hidden during the Holocaust, and she is totally assimilated. So you talk about modern day, people whose Judaism was yanked away from them. She's an example. And of course, I immediately gravitated to her and saw, and we've connected. But my, my goal, and really every Jew's goal, is to connect Jews to Hashem. That's, if we love Hashem, we love Torah, we want to have every Jew to have that gift. You want to return his children to him. Right. In, 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 in an intellectual, you know, honest way. In the, in the, in the, in the, because we have the truth. So in California, in the Bay Area, there are many, many assimilated Jews. And I never have opportunities. So I remember one time, I was in a restaurant with a very prominent attorney. Well, I would meet up with him. We'd study together. And he had been a member of a conservative temple, which doesn't follow Torah and it's just largely. And right next to him was like the president. And next table over was like the president and a couple other guys. So we all joined together for lunch. And they started telling me how big the rabbi was. So I said, that's fair. And I knew who he was very well. I thought, that's very interesting. Like, why do you think he's so big? You should hear his sermons. So I told these gentlemen, I said, you know, I want to be honest with you. In the Middle Ages, the Catholic Church would burn alive people who translated the Bible. And the reason they did that was because they wanted control. It means when people convert the Bible to English or to, 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 to the common languages, they were killed. It was only in Latin. And they did that so they had one narrative, one story. I asked them, could you read the Talmud? Could you read the Torah? Have you ever read it? So he said, no, no, no. I said, so how in the world do you know you have a big rabbi? I said, when I speak in my synagogue, I have people who have finished all of the Talmud, certainly the Parsha and the Kamesh, every, every week. And if I say anything, they question me. You're telling me. Correct, correct. The, the, the main thing, I think, for all of us, and as we come into the new year coming now, is we need to pick up our search for truth. We need to look at whether it's history or the Torah with an angle, what, what we should take from it. And we know that if we search for truth in Emmets, Hashem helps us. You want to, you, you mentioned, Mrs. Ivo, that you want to walk, Hashem, you walk with Hashem. 
when we walk, look for truth, we walk with Hashem. That's the best way. So I want to thank you. I want to give all of your, your viewership a big blessing and bracha. Yes. That they should grow in their Judaism, grow in Torah, and grow close to Hashem. Amen. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come out. I pray that Bezrat Hashem, this will not be the last time. Beli Netter, if you've enjoyed this talk, you're really going to enjoy the lectures that he has. Beli Netter, I'm going to link his uh, site so that you can go on. And I'm telling you, if you want to start, you know, wherever you are in this journey, especially if you're in the beginning and, and you want to do what the Ruff has said, you want to find out the history, you want to find out your history, this is a great place to start. It is a, it's, it's really, it's like a, it's a library of just knowledge. And I pray again, like I said, that you'll be out. And I hope that you've all enjoyed this episode. And I hope that we'll all be together again soon. If you've enjoyed this video or know someone who would, please share it. Sikulimitzvot.